0: The food service industry as a whole has changed drastically since the pandemic, but who would have thought collaboration would be the main sticking point from all that turmoil? IFMA President and CEO Phil Kafarakis joins us today to discuss this and how his organization is going through a transformation to better serve its members on this episode of the Food Institute podcast, coming at you. All right, so we have a lot to talk about today, and I'm going to try to jump into it as quickly as possible, but I did want to thank IFMA for their partnership on this episode. We had an opportunity to go out to IFMA PC this year, and we had four recap articles, and you can take a look at foodinstitute.com to get a better idea of what was going on the ground there, but like I said, it was an excellent event, and I really appreciate IFMA's partnership, and I wanted to stay all of that before we brought Phil onto the show. So Phil, I was hoping we could start off today's episode by having you introduce yourself, talking a little bit about your career history, and also talking a little bit about IFMA for those who may not already be familiar with you guys.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chris. I um uh, I've been in the food industry for uh close to 40 years. I uh my career is basically manufacturing driven. I ran businesses uh at uh craft uh ran businesses with a smaller family-run business called Jones Dairy Farm. I was at Cargill and then uh, I uh was at uh, the majority of my career at McCormick running their food away from home business and leadership capacities. And um, got into the association side as I was serving on the National Restaurant Association uh, Education Foundation Board. Uh, Dawn Sweeney was the president at the time, and she kind of sold me into being part of the restaurant association's transformation. And I helped run what were the businesses, the solution side of what was going on at NRA for several years, and then got recruited to run uh, the Specialty Food Association, which is uh, known to most of our community for the... um, incredible innovative entrepreneurial new products that come out. They are best known for the uh, fancy food shows. So I was there for several years and then was privileged to be selected to run IFMA um, two years ago, actually. And um, it's kind of where I grew up, really. Um, IFMA is a 70-year-old association, uh, always uh, based out of Chicago, serving the food service industry, predominantly the top 100 Uh, 150 uh, manufacturing brands in food service for many, many years. It's been very based on uh, and focused on education um, and also connectivity with products uh, that reveal themselves in our content. Uh, When uh, you go to uh, organizational programs like President's Conference, which just celebrated more than 60 years of being out there, it's a membership-only C-suite environment. Uh, Also, COEX, the Chain Operator Exchange, is another event program and conference that's been out there that's been successful for IFMA many, many years, which focuses on the chain operator environment and bringing food manufacturers and the chain operator influencers together. There's also a virtual event for sales and marketing that focuses on sales and marketing uh, content best practices. And the most renowned program of all is the Gold and Silver Plate Uh, recognition program. It's been in Chicago going into its 69th uh, year. It's an incredible uh, program that recognizes industry giants. So uh, it's been a quiet, very influential organization. And uh, we've just uh, made some big news by transforming it, given uh, what's been happening in the industry. So uh, it's been a real privilege to lead that group and um, we're looking forward to a great future as we open up our doors to the food away from home industry.
0: And thanks for sharing all that, Phil. Uh, as I mentioned in the opening here, I did get an opportunity to attend IFMA PC this year in Scottsdale. And, you know, one of the major things we saw was that IFMA is really on a transformative journey, uh, trying to adapt to new market dynamics. So for our audience that wasn't able to attend, could you share some of the high level uh, changes that IFMA is trying to make as it transforms here?
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to do that. the, uh... Most important component of what we've done is uh, started to look internally and and be able to describe to the community, the food industry at large, who IFMA is, for many years, IFMA's been promoting their conferences and their content. But uh, for the first time ever, we've established uh, a hard look internally about the organization itself. We've developed a strategic plan that is public. Uh, and our focus is now to empower, nurture and connect the food away from home ecosystem, so it may thrive and responsibly meet consumers' needs. That's uh, Those are very important words built on our centers of excellence, empower, nurture, connect. And it's the first time we've taken a big step in developing a purpose that connects to a vision and a mission. Uh, the organization, again, was always externally focused, uh, trying to help members in their own way, but never promoting the work it does or what it stands for and elevating the reach of the membership. So our vision is to champion an inclusive food away from home ecosystem that collaborates to build innovative solutions that advance the industry. And that's important because we as an industry have transformed and uh, food service has now turned into food away from home given uh, the accelerated events uh, coming through the pandemic where food that used to be just in a food service environment at a restaurant or, or a takeout environment has now found its way into convenience stores, into grocery stores, into ghost kitchens. So as the industry has transformed, we believe there's an opportunity to open the membership uh, and bring in uh, many of these providers, these operators, and uh, manufacturers across multiple segments beyond food and beverage to solve problems and innovate that advances food away from home. It's a $1.3 trillion uh, industry that supports a very big part of the GDP in this country, and we thought it was time to take a big, bold step. Our mission then is to be the agent of change, leading a dynamic, transparent, and engaged food-away-from-home community that helps grow our members' businesses, and we do that through the pillars of excellence, empower, nurture, and connect, and we certainly can talk a little bit about what that means. But we're very excited about transformation because it opens our now our membership to four different pro, uh, segment categories, if you will, allowing many companies to be part of the community.
0: And I really love that. You know, we'll take a step back here when I first started with the Food Institute, it really seemed that the food industry was in its own tranches. You had food away from home and food at home, but you also had, you know, institutional, convenience stores. And it just seemed like everything was operating in its own little bucket. And over the last couple of years, and especially since the pandemic, it seems that things are really blurring on the edges and that a lot of these categories are kind of bleeding into each other. And I'm just wondering how much of that, you know, dynamic really propelled IFMA to reimagine what its membership would look like, what its mission would look like. How much did that impact, you know, how IFMA was going to start working as it looked to the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Reimagined is the right term. Uh, We've had for many, many years, associate members uh, as one grouping beyond our manufacturing members. So you could either be a manufacturing member or you could be an associate member. And inside the associate member ranks, we have supply chain companies. We have what we call service providers. uh, We have uh, an opportunity to reach the groups that are beyond just food and beverage packaging manufacturing. so because the lines of uh, you know distribution and the supply chains have been blurring for years and the segments in food service have really defined themselves, you start to think about food away from home that you can find in a restaurant actually is in your local grocery store It's actually also, not only in your convenience store, but it can be brought to your home given the accelerated use of technology when you think about all the things that have happened with delivery. And going back to the days of you know, cash cash and carries when uh, you know um, many restaurants were carry-outs where you just had the back of the house, a counter. It was cash, very simple menu. You walked in, you took your food, and you carried it out. I mean, that's the premise of some of the... Most successful independent operators in this country. So, as we saw that, we did our digging with our strategic plan work that uh, took us almost 18 months of really diving into what has happened to the industry, assessing what our members were telling us during a time of COVID when we all went into sharing information collectively. Um, it was then easy to understand that the community. Wants to be together, interconnected, interdependent, and when we mean the community, we call it the ecosystem. Starts with the manufacturer, whether you're food, beverage, packaging, uh, whether you're involved in equipment manufacturing, you know, whether you're in alcohol and spirits, whether you're in frozen food, whether you're in produce. The manufacturing community wanted to sit together and get best practices, but then it involved the operator. And the operators wanted to hear what was going on, not only across their own community, but also with the manufacturer. And you can't do that without having supply chain representation. And that was the beginnings of the membership structure, because the last piece of it was bringing service providers who are subject matter experts to help us with the things that are taking place in our industry. Service providers could be as simple as you know technology, companies that are advancing the work both of operators, the work of the supply chain, the work of manufacturers. So uh, that compelled us to break the membership up into four distinct categories uh, that then we, with our content and the work of these committees that represent these membership categories can fulfill a need to solve problems collectively for the industry. That just makes our conferences stronger with content uh, that can be shared. And it also allows us to bring in-depth research and best practices to the community at large, which is a benefit of membership that traditionally you don't get when you're uh, in, a, in an association and a membership environment that is only focused on you. And what we're talking about here in this new structure is to be accretive. So restaurant operators talk with restaurant operators, manufacturers talk with manufacturers, distributors talk with distributors. Um, why not bring them together uh, beyond the, the dedication and work they do with their primary associations and have them sit at the table. So that's the most exciting part of this transformation and it's seen in the membership structure uh, we are now starting to promote and uh, starting to um, uh, you know, encourage uh, the food service community to come and join us and be part of this food away from home ecosystem.
0: And I love that ecosystem part. I think it's very salient. And I think also when you take a look, you know, if we take a step back here, the consumer viewpoint they don't really care as much as we do on the inside of the food industry. Um, You know, all the different moving parts, all they care about is the end product, right? So it's very, at least to me, makes a lot of sense that you want to take all these individual stakeholders and kind of bring them into the same room under the same tent, however you want to say it. Uh, Because at the end of the day, it does take all of these different stakeholders working together collaboratively to make sure that, you know, that end product that's reaching the consumer is meeting their needs. And I think that's a really, you know, important thing. And something I've seen pretty much, Since the pandemic, this increased viewpoint on collaboration, which to me has always been interesting, you know, in a capitalist society, we are competing, right? But at the end of the day, there is a lot of collaboration that can happen out there. And it seems to really improve, you know, operations from top to bottom when you have that kind of mindset. Do you think, you know, from your vantage point, are you seeing something similar?
1: Very much so. Listen, this industry is very resilient. It's proven itself years prior to the pandemic, which was a shot in the arm that accelerated the need for this collaborative, transparent, you know, uh, ability to, to to take relationships further. It's always, food service has always been one of these, you know, anomalies that talk about, well, it's a relationship business. It is, but it requires transparency. It requires trust. It requires, depending on people who have best practices that can solve some of your problems. And, and what we saw through that accelerated move was that, as much as everybody in in these four distinct categories competes with each other, there's also a willingness to share common practices. And what we have found is that the solutions to some folks' problems lies in the best practices of others. And by sharing that collectively, it makes us all stronger and better. Of course, we compete. Of course, we all have our differentiated value propositions. But for us, It was a matter of let's step forward and stop, you know, lamenting about what the pandemic uh, did and and, and how it set us back, blah, blah, blah. Let's put ourselves forward and create this new uh, ecosystem. And the reason ecosystem became such a calling card and and everybody really kicked that word around, particularly our board, was because there's diversity in that um, ecosystem. It's a living, breathing dynamic. It's not stable. It's not just something that is uh, static and doesn't evolve when you interact across all four communities to move businesses forward. So we love the fact that it also includes part of our diversity, equity, and inclusion component. It's It's something we worked on as well as an organization that brings us into an opportunity to drive some of those values as we bring the community together.
0: Yeah. And I think it's probably worthwhile to take a look at that. I think there's a lot of different parts of this transformation that we'll be able to talk about, but maybe we'll dive into the diversity, equity, and inclusion component. Sure. Um, What do you think really led you to engage with this movement as part of IFMA's transformation? Was there anything specifically that you saw said, hey, we really need to work on these efforts? Anything like that that you could share?
1: Yeah, I think historically, um, it's fair to say, and we've got a lot of feedback that IFMA was possibly behind the curve with respect to actually uh, taking on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion beyond just being an initiative—it's not a project. You know, it's it becomes a component and a fabric of your values and and what you um, how you do your work. So we dove into it. The board uh, has been um, very adamant about much more transparency and much more of a deliberate effort that brought us to a DEI vision for the first time in our history. Our DEI vision internally was created by our team, and it's something that is moved over towards our board. Our DEI vision at IFMA is to be the champion of an inclusive food away from home ecosystem that collaborates to build innovative solutions that advance the industry. So you can see how it's connected uh, into the organization's vision. Also, our mission, IFMA is intentional, and that's very important in our internal practices. Uh, our member offerings, and external outreach to actively solicit and value diverse perspectives. And it's a component, again, of our um, our evolution. This isn't something that just happened overnight. Uh, we've been working on this and have demonstrated it through our actions and the work that we've done over the course of the last several years. Particularly, uh, it's been going on for years as the board has added uh, tremendous diversity into uh, it's collective effort, and I think uh, that was the beginnings of making it more formal. But as we, again, witness what's happening in the industry and we witness what's happening with the operator community, the supply chain, even in manufacturing, DEI has become a very big part of you know, the innards and the values of all our member companies. And it's uh, it, it wouldn't be doing us, our members, a, a service if we weren't able to share uh the formal beginnings and the work that we've done uh, in uh, DEI. And it'll continue to resonate through our actions, through the folks we bring into the um, conferences, the content um, and the perspective we bring to the community, because now collectively uh, we're going to be talking to the entire ecosystem versus just, you know, a handful of operators or a handful of manufacturers uh, that are in one segment or another. So we're very proud of that work, and we've also redefined our internal values, which is something we shared at the conference as well. So that's very important to us as we define who we are, how we work, and um, how we bring that forward.
0: And I think intentional is probably the key word there. It's very easy to say you're doing one of these things, but yeah. you know, it, you really need to follow up, and it's not just a one-time process. So it's good to hear that, you know, it's been a couple of years that you've been working on this and that you're able to kind of roll it out and even formalizing it, I think, gives it a little bit of extra gravitas, right? Something that people can take a look at and say, hey, you know, this is not just someone in a boardroom saying, hey, we should do this. It's actualized. It's a plan. So I think that's really, really important. And I guess, you know, what's the initial feedback been on this part of the transformation?
1: It's been absolutely terrific because a component of this really, a driver, has been one of the biggest member benefits you get is by sitting in a room in the committee work that we do. There's a lot of committee work that involves the constituency that I've outlined for you. So as you're sitting next to an operator and you're sitting next to a supply chain partner, uh, they're potential customers. They're uh, potential companies you'd want to interact in, and and you want not just the diversity of their knowledge and thought, but the diversity of their perspective and the way they bring their thinking uh, and their core values to the to the table. So. Um, the committee work is really a stimulant here of the output of member value, and it's particularly gratifying when you have your members are telling you uh, what they're looking for. They're 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 telling you and grading you on how you're delivering those services, and the feedback has been uh, really terrific because we've got a lot of transparent uh, communication going on. And uh, you know, again, back to our core values. Uh, they've helped us with the interaction. A service is a big part of it. We put our members first. Inclusiveness gets back to uh, embracing diversity of thought, background, demographics. That's a real part of it, especially with the committee work and the work we do internally. We're open to possibilities. That's a third one uh, because we're curious and we're innovative and we accept new ideas. Again, coming through all those constituents we've got integrity in the work we do we're thorough transparent accountable to each other and our membership and then we have a collaborative spirit so we combine the individual expertise with our team to support growing together as much as those are uh, internal values to ifma they actually represent and manifest themselves um, into uh, what the community at large uh, is thinking and doing so We're really proud of the work. We want to continue to get the feedback. We're constantly asking for feedback and serving the membership. And uh, that is one of the indicators that helps us make decisions along with uh, the perspective of the board.
0: All right, Phil. I know we've already kind of talked about this a little bit on the edges, but I think it's worth kind of diving in here. Um, we've talked a little bit about the purpose, vision, and mission of IFMA's transformation, but I think it's really worthwhile to distill it down and really talk about each of these sections and how they're working together to bring a new life for IFMA and the organization and its membership. So I was hoping you could share a little bit about those three parts of the transformation and we could get into that a little bit more deeply.
1: Sure. For the very, uh, very first time in our history, we focused on a purpose uh and um in this body of work uh, actually was uh, an output of a lot of research over 18 months and um it also involved the board extensively we have a working board we had three different task forces but we came up with a new purpose uh, that identifies the organization and the work we do um the purpose is to empower nurture and connect the food away from home ecosystem so it may thrive and responsibly meet consumer needs. This was a move away from a grand vision of win the consumer, which is what we talk about prior uh, to this new purpose. And win the consumer was something um, our programs and products and services allowed the community to do, we as IFMA needed an identity uh, and focus more on who we are. So the purpose was built around empower is all the great uh, research and work and white papers and best practices and information we publish. Nurture is built around our education foundation and the work uh, that we do in our education platform with our food service fundamentals and other materials that sit inside uh, our IFMA resource center. And connect is the work we do with the um, with the conferences. So empower, nurture, and connect the food away from home ecosystem. So it may thrive and responsibly meet consumer needs is a much more updated purpose that all the stakeholders uh, can um, mobilize around the home. The food away from home ecosystem describes the entire community, not just food manufacturers, which was another departure from our traditional focus just on food manufacturing, which also involved equipment, packaging, beverage, et cetera. So we've expanded. um the community we call it an ecosystem given the interdependence of those uh, constituents that we will now uh, uh, bring into the membership more aggressively than we've ever done before Uh, we've also updated and created a new vision which is basically to champion an inclusive food away from home ecosystem that collaborates to build innovative solutions and advance the industry again Food away from home ecosystem is inclusive and uh, collaborates to bring solutions that advance the industry. So it's not, again, selectively to one or two members. It's across the entire um, community at large. And again, the word ecosystem is used because of the four different constituencies we're building into a new membership uh, campaign. And then our mission is to be the agent of change, leading dynamic, transparent, and engaged food away from home community that will help grow our members' businesses. It's all about um, being um, that one place for everyone to go um, and mobilize around so that we can help grow the industry collectively but uh, individual member businesses at the same time. We, again, talk about food away from home. So uh, it was very important for us uh, to move beyond uh, the community that we've been serving. Because we learned from a lot of research and speaking to our members that they love the fact that when we lived through the pandemic, we lived through it because we shared information across not just manufacturers, but also supply chain and the operators. And we also had what we call service providers who are subject matter experts, technology, financial um, enterprises that brought us forth with, uh, uh abilities to connect and, uh, expand our businesses. So that sharing across all four constituents is what drove us to this new, uh, you know, aspirational new purpose, vision, and mission.
0: I think one of the things we could drill into a little bit as well is the level up 2027 plan, which you unveiled at IFMA PC this year. So I was hoping you could share a little bit about that as well. And some of the action steps you're taking, uh, to kind of take all of these, you know, this purpose, this vision and this mission, some of those steps that you're taking to actualize them at this point.
1: Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. We have built a document that we've shared. It's our long range plan and it gives us the opportunity to spell out exactly, um, you know, how we're going to approach this. Uh, It has four different, uh, what we would call strategic imperatives. Um, Leading the food away from home industry means that we uh, would take on subject matter expertise that's built around all the issues uh, that are currently ahead of us when you think about food away from home being in these new segments, beyond traditional commercial and non-commercial environments. Uh, So uh, speaking, To the community in the retail grocery side that is looking for food service information and looking to understand how they can improve their operations because now uh, they're delivering prepared meals um, and using a food service supply chain uh, is really important. That's one constituency when we talk about leading the food away from home industry that we need to approach and talk to. Uh, The other one is the convenience stores. Uh, Again, the growth in convenience store food, prepared food in particular, is also very important. And as much as those two communities have information and supply themselves uh, and their constituents with information, we believe we can be accretive and add more information and uh, help them expand their opportunities within food away from home. So leading the food away from home industry is important, also fits into being champion, bringing forth issues that are coming down the pike when you think about the work we do with GS1, the data sharing, data synchronization, the legislative environment. Uh, As much as we're not a lobby group, we gather that information from our friends at NRA, the Restaurant Association, and the IFTA, the International Food Service Distributors Association. So in those those relationships, those partnerships will help us lead uh, the food away from home industry. And and that's articulated with a lot of tactical uh, work that'll be done. The second imperative is grow membership and member value. And that has to do with taking the two components of our membership today. The one is manufacturers that we've always been focused on, whether it's food, beverage, packaging, um, equipment. And now we are expanding that um, to also spirit providers, alcohol. Uh, You think about other food manufacturing processors uh, that have to do with equipment processing or disposables, an expansion of chemicals, an expansion of the back of the house type of needs. You think about uniform companies, you think about all the needs that go into food away from home businesses. They're more than welcome to be part of our manufacturer segment. We've broken out our associate members now so that they could be in their respective a segment as well we've done a lot of work with operators so we have uh, operator leadership councils that represent commercial and non-commercial environments so the operators now have an opportunity to be members the supply chain uh, we currently have several supply chain and distribution companies that are members they'll have their own again segment that that identifies them and helps them with bridging the things they need to know from the manufacturers the operators the collaborative component against all three and then the fourth would be the service providers where we want to bring in more of them. We have we have a very good amount of um, companies, uh, data uh, information and research, uh, some technology companies, others and other uh, adjacencies that support the, the industry. Uh, that's a, an opportunity to bring more subject matter expertise that helps us. So growing membership and member value is really important. And. We'll also be recruiting resources to be able to do the outreach. And we're also in an extended and very aggressive marketing campaign to bring forth the new identity uh, that we'll be releasing uh, in March, but also talk about the new member value and the new member benefits that each one of these segments attracts through an aggressive marketing campaign that we traditionally have never, ever um, resourced. We also have the third one. The third strategic imperative is built around the cross-industry engagement and initiative, which brings together our food service leadership councils that are predominantly operator-driven and uh, the manufacturing community. We will also bring in our a supply chain, and that's where we'll tackle industry initiatives that affect all of us. You can think about you know, waste and food hunger that kind of go together. You can think about margin optimization as it affects the efficiencies, you can think about data synchronization that, again, affects efficiencies in doing business. Uh, the cross-industry in- initiative and engagement will feature uh, a couple of um, areas of focus for everyone that we can then work on as a collective community. And then the last strategic imperative is more, more internal, but it going external, the transformation of the brand. Uh, we've meticulously have gone through building our purpose, our vision, our mission. We've developed internal values for how we behave and how we interact. And that will all come through in a new branding campaign uh, as we reimagine the brand and talk to the community at large now in a more exciting and uh, reimagined way so that uh, we maintain our heritage and our expertise, but become now a new authority as we start to define the food away from home ecosystem. So those are the four strategic imperatives that are articulated. There's um, plans around each one of them, and that can be found on our website um, when uh, folks have an interest in understanding what is it that we do and what are we focused on.
0: And that's a great point. We will definitely share a link directly to the level Up 2027 plan uh, in the description of this episode. So if you're listening in, make sure you take a look there and you can learn a lot more. Uh, I did hear that you were mentioning, you know, new branding, new brand identity. And you said, I believe, you know, early next year, what well, can you tell us about, you know, what's going to be coming down the pike when it comes to that branding, any kind of announcement on when that will be unveiled, anything like that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, we, uh, have appointed an agency that we've been working with, uh, since, uh, The uh, beginning of the third quarter last year, the Martin Group from Buffalo, uh, New York, that does a lot of work uh, with our members. And um, they are helping us through uh, methodically working through a plan that will bring a refreshed um, uh, logo, um, insignia, uh, an entire uh, branding um, refresh uh, to us. Uh, We're even considering a name change as we do some research here at the beginning of uh, the year uh, to under better understand how the community sees us. Uh, but we expect to at least have an unveiling of this at COEX, uh, which is our big uh, event to kick off the beginning uh, of the new year. It's the Chain Operator Exchange that's in Kansas City this year from March 3rd through 5th. And that'll be a platform where we you know, unveil the work that we'll be doing on the brand. We're very excited about it. It's the first time in 70 years we've actually, again, resourced uh, not only uh, the ability to survey and talk to members, but also work with, you know, branded consultants and resources that um, have done this before. It's a time where most associations are uh, re-envisioning Uh, you know, what they do and repositioning themselves in the future. So um, I think for us, we've been a little behind the eight ball, but we had to do the fundamental work around purpose, vision, mission, and also the work we've done with our values and our DEI initiative so that it frames up who the new IFMA is. Now it just needs to be articulated properly through a um, exciting branding campaign.
0: And we are very much looking forward to seeing the new branding and obviously kind of seeing how all of these great plans uh, start to play out over the next couple of years. And I'm just wondering, you know, if you're a listener right now and you're saying, hey, I want to kind of follow along with IFMA as they go through this transformation, where should they go?
1: Uh, they should come to ifmaworld.com. It, it's all there. Um, we traditionally have gotten confused with the International Facilities Management Association, which is a little bit of a problem because not many people understand IFMA. Uh, Our research shows people get us confused uh, with a lot of other things. They don't necessarily articulate International Food Service Manufacturers Association. Some people call us a marketing association. Uh, Some people don't understand food service. Uh, So it's a little blurred, but we've built uh, and have been working on ifmoworld.com. We've used it as a hashtag and we've used it as a, the beginnings um, of the foundation uh, as we think through the future. This is something that's been in the works for some time. It's been working well and we'll continue to leverage ifmoworld.com and you can find us across all the social platforms uh, in that fashion.
0: And we'll definitely be sharing some relevant links, like I said, to you know the overall ifma website and some targeted links for some of the plans we were talking about today. So if you are interested in learning a little bit more, you can definitely go down there. Uh, Phil, I think we're coming up to the end of our time here. So I did want to thank you for spending some time with us today talking about IFMA's transformation, some of the plans for the future, and also really kind of highlighting that collaborative as- you know aspect that has really emerged in the food service sector over the last couple of years. You know, it's one of the more interesting developments I've seen. You know, a bunch of companies that should be competing. But kind of coming together and realizing, you know, at the end of the day, uh, rising tide, you know, raises all ships. Right. So yeah. it's really one of the more interesting dynamics we've seen and something that really, you know, for me, I think is one of the cooler parts about the industry. So just want to thank you again for your time. today.
1: Well, we're appreciative of all the work you guys are doing. We're looking forward to working with the Food Institute in the future as we, again, leverage uh, media to get the word out. And as we've talked about this being a very large leap forward. Uh, we think also it's transformational in that we understand and that the answer to some of our members problems lies in some of our other members, best practices. And, um, you know, collaboratively, we've got a tremendous future. When you think about a $1.3 trillion food away from home industry, that's a very big uh, component of the GDP in this country. So thanks for covering us. Looking forward to working with you guys in the very near future. And, um, We welcome anyone who'd like to see more and become a member. You can find all that information on ifmaworld.com. Thanks very much, Chris. Appreciate it.
0: And that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. I want to thank Phil once again for his time today. And I want to thank IFMA for their continued partnership with the Food Institute. We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off.